Let's open up God's precious word this morning. We've been um, going through a verse by verse study of first of second Peter. Let's go from Second uh, Peter chapter two, or chapter one, verse nineteen, to uh, chapter two, verse uh, one through uh, three. As you open to God's Word with us this morning, if you will, if you're physically able, um, stand with me as we read from it, as reverence and respect for His Word, if you will. Second, first, Second Peter chapter one, verse nineteen. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, which you would do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Who will bring in, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. All right, that's the word of the living God. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of your dear Son, and we praise you and glorify and lift high your name. Thankful again that we can assemble here together and uh, on Sunday as a, as a reminder that, that uh, you raised your Son from the dead, that you offered him up in sacrifice for our sins according to the Scriptures, and he was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And Lord, we thank You, Lord, that we have a confession of not some dead religious system of works. We have a confession of a live Savior. And because You live, we too shall live. And thankful for Your Word and thankful for the Holy Spirit who moved upon men and worked through them to write it. And thankful, Lord, it was not originated from men. It originated from heaven. Thankful that You've re revealed Yourself on the pages of Scripture and You made good on the promises of Your Word by sending Your Son. We're thankful for the beautiful portrait of Him it paints for us. And I pray, Father, that with that disposition and that uh, prism, that that's the way we'll view, view the Scriptures because that's the way they were written to reveal Your blessed Son. Thank You for Him. Thank You for the work, the finished work You accomplished through Him. Thank You that for by one offering You have perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Thank You for the, the, the confession that Christ made on the cross Himself when He said it is finished. The debt has been paid. It's been paid in full. And so Lord, keep us focused on You. Give us a razor sharp discernment as we go through the Scriptures. And God, we're not asking um, uh, anything but that which You will to do this morning. That is Your Word doesn't return back void. I pray that You'll afflict the comfortable and You'll comfort the afflicted. And do what You set out to do. To speak to our hearts because You're speaking. And just give us ears to hear. Break up the foul ground of our hearts. So we're ready and receptive to hear what you'd have to say to us this morning. Thank you so very much for your blessed Son. In the sweet name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 
You remember last week we were coming off of um, the title of this message is A Little Leaven, Leaven's the Whole Lump. Subtitle, No Compromise, Part 2. And we were looking at last week, and the reason we backed up to chapter 1 a little bit, and at the end of, end of chapter 1, it's just affirmed that the, um, the, the God's way, the, the way of kingdom way, uh, it, of exposing error and protecting ourselves from error, is to be familiar with the truth. We've talked about it many times before, but back when I was in the banking business, uh, we were trained to spot counterfeit bills, not by studying counterfeit bills. We were trained to spot counterfeit bills by becoming intimately familiar with what a real one looks like. And if you know what a real bill looks like and somebody gives you a 20 that's not real, uh, you'll pick up on it. And so that's the way it is with truth. We don't study and go around studying every variation of heretical doctrine. There's plenty enough of that. But if we'll study the truth, the truth is what makes us free and the truth is what exposes the error. And we talked about last week that in essence, First Peter that we've already gone through is, um, is to give us a heads up about how to act in the middle of persecution that comes outside the church. We know that what's going on in our country right now is, the epicenter of what's going on in our country right now is that the enemy's doing everything he possibly can to position our country to make gospel hate speech, to make the gospel hate speech, to muzzle the mouths of Christians. And um, that's not going to work. Uh, because uh, we, we're not looking for governmental reform because government can't change somebody's heart. We're looking for heart reform. And that can only come through the gospel. And we're going to preach and teach the gospel. And we're going to live it. Amen? Amen? And we're not going to concede the ground of the gospel because it's the gospel that has the power to save. And so not some political party or political ideology. And so the attack is coming from out. Then when we move into Second Peter, we look at how the devil attacks the church from within. Uh, and there's always been going on. It's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. The Bible says right here, we just read, that at the time the revelation was written in the Old Testament, prophets were raised up by God through whom He breathed the Word and there were false prophets among them. And of course, once the apostles and the prophets and their doctrine was laid down in Scripture, and we have it right here from Genesis to Maps, then and they died and moved off the scene, we have the complete Word of God right here. So now, we don't have to be concerned about false prophets. We have to be concerned about false teachers. The prophecy has already been spoken. And so, you see in that, that Paul Peter affirms that. And we have to deal with false teachers. And I'll tell you this, and we've talked about this before. If you have cancer, if you were to have cancer, and you go to your oncologist, and he said, here's the thing. We're going to cut out, let's say they found a tumor in your lung, in the upper lobe of your lung. And your oncologist says, here's the deal. We found the tumor, it's well defined, and we're going to go in and we're going to take out 90% of it. Would that be acceptable to you? Just take out 90%. Leave the other 10 to do whatever it wants to do over time. You wouldn't go for that, you'd find another doctor. And so, by an infinitely more important measure we don't put up with false doctrine not 90% and just have 10% that's negotiable no it's got to be it's got to be carved out it's got to be exposed because it's eternally dangerous it's not it's it, see we're not dealing with small matters here 
Cancer can only kill you one time. That's bad. That's bad. We've had members of our fellowship who have been taken to heaven uh, from cancer. But there's a cancer that will kill you for eternity and it's called sin. And it's far worse than any tumor that can come your way. And so, we have to expose it. We have to be on our guard. We know that discernment is not a gift of the intellect. Discernible people are not intellectual people. They might be intellectual and have discernment, but it's not predicated upon intellect and gifts of the mind. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. And if we take that which comes across our radar screen and use it and see it through the prism of Scripture, God's going to parse out what's, what's real and what's not, what's leaven and what's real, and we can, we, can, we can separate and protect ourselves from it. There are hills to die on in Christendom, and the Gospel is it. We are to contend for the faith without being contentious. We are to say, you know what? It's non-negotiable. There's some things that are non-negotiable. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's non-negotiable. There's one way to heaven. It is through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by Him. This is the Bible in its original languages. It's whole and complete and without error. This is the Word of the living God from the first moment it's spoken in the beginning all the way to the maps at the end. It's the Word of God. There is salvation in no other name except the name of Jesus Christ. Period. And these non-negotiables are the gospel, the drivetrain of the gospel, and they can't be compromised in any measure. Not only as we receive the gospel, but the gospel is about that we've been saved by grace through faith, we are being saved by grace through faith, and we have the hope of future glory by grace through faith. It never comes a proposition ever in the Bible where it says we get in by faith and we're kept or have the hope of future glory by works. That's heresy. And I guess if there was another subtitle that we could saddle this message with this morning, it would be this. That the false teachers that he's talking about and are going to expose here, which are plenty alive today and have traction in Christian culture in America, want a crossless Christianity. That's it. They want a crossless Christianity. They would say, and they're going to slip in among us, they're going to be those who say, that they believe in the gospel message. They believe it's in, by Christ that we're saved. But yet, underneath the radar screen, they don't really believe that. What they believe is they want a Christianity that panders to fleshly appetites with Jesus' name slapped on it. They want a theology that says you can have your cake and eat it too. That... that we, we will affirm the cross, the work of the cross for us on the cross. But we vehemently, uh, we vehemently resist the work of the cross in us. There's the work of the cross for the believer when we get saved. That's relationship. But in fellowship, God doesn't stop there. That doesn't mean it wasn't enough. But God doesn't stop there. And now He purposes once you get in to apply the work of the cross in you. We've talked about this before. God did not save you and I as believers to improve us. God saved us to kill the old man and resurrect His Son afresh and brand new in my life and yours. That's His plan. 
And everything that goes on in the life of a believer has that one objective in mind by a benevolent, kind, compassionate God. And that is that we would own up to the truth that I've been crucified with Christ and nevertheless I live. Yet not I live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. But the false teacher would say, oh, no, 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 no. Christianity is all about your appetite. It's about what makes you feel good. Jesus came to die on the cross to make you happy. You have a happiness deficiency. And the Gospel is about your happiness. Because after all, you were so cute and so and God was so fond of you. You had redeemable qualities. When the Bible teaches that God died for us when we were without strength, sinners, ungodly enemies of God. That's the people that God died for. He didn't die for people who deserve it. He died for people who do not deserve it. And that makes His grace and His love all the more spectacular. When you see the fact and see the real distance between what we deserve from God and what we're getting from God and what we don't deserve from God that we're getting from God. His grace and His mercy understood in light of the fact that we're totally depraved and deserve neither. God's a great God. Salvation is a great message. It's the only message there is that's worth knowing. These are the ones who would say they would use the Bible not to enlighten like we talked about last week. They use the Bible to deceive. We shouldn't be surprised by it. The Bible says it would happen. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. Please go over there with me if you will. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. Nothing new under the sun. Satan's schemes are effective, but they're not creative. He just uses what works and recycles things under uh, different names, but it all boils down to the same thing. But look at uh, look at Second uh, Timothy chapter three, verse thirteen. Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We live in an age of deception. If you were the enemy, and you wanted to strategize how best to hurt the church, how best to um, attack it in order to douse its influence and the light that we are to be, then your most effective tool would not be to mount an attack from the outside. Your most effective tool would be to attack it from within. And false teachers know this, motivated by covetousness, money, and immorality. And we've talked about this before, but the pathology or the habit of false teachers is they're in it for the money, and they're usually highly immoral, and a combination thereof. We talked about this last week, let's pick up on it. There were false prophets among the people, even as there will be, back to Second Peter, False teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, bought them, and bring on themselves swift 
destruction. We look at this and we talk about this. It's a marvel. It's amazing that God would choose Peter to write this. Because it just highlights His grace and mercy really is what it does. Because the same word for denying, the Greek word for which denying is translated right there, is the same word that's used to translate Peter's denial. Amazing, isn't it? The very one who denied Christ is now warning us of people who deny Him. And we talked about it last week, but I want to mention it again because I can't resist the temptation. It just shows you the graciousness of God's grace. Because if He was going to bring that up, now would have been the time. If He were going to wallow back in His past sins and past failures, that would have been the opportune time to do it. Because He could have said, I've done the same thing. But you know what? Whatever's taken to the mercy seat doesn't make it to the judgment seat. Hallelujah. He makes no mention of it. You know why? Because He was washed by the blood of the Lamb. Gives you some insight about the way we are to regard our past sins, doesn't it? And so, it says denying. That word means to refuse. It means to be unwilling. It means to firmly say no. Peter went through a season of denial. It's one thing to go through a season of denial, but it's another thing to stay there. The false teachers not only deny but they live a habitual lifestyle of denial. But what is it that they deny? Here it is. They'll affirm the Lord as being Lord in their confession, but they'll deny Him in their practice as being Lord. It's one thing to confess Him as Lord. It's another thing to act like it, isn't it? You know, I told a, 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 a former staff member of ours who was trying to pull some stuff and, and uh, under the table at a previous church. I said, you know what? I'm not really interested mostly in what you're saying. I'm watching what you're doing. Because see, what you're saying is one thing, but what you're doing is quite another. That's the pathology of a false teacher. Oh, they'll join hands with us and stay, get right, saddle up with us and say hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know that. How many Christians are disillusioned by somebody who will stand in church and lift high their hands and speak the name of Jesus louder than anybody else and then have a decadent, immoral lifestyle throughout the rest of the week? And you go, you know what? If that's Christianity, count me out. And buddy, if that were Christianity, I'd want to be counted out too. But I'm here to declare you it's not. Jesus doesn't make us, He doesn't make us positionally, practically perfect. We're positionally perfect because of Him, but we're being made perfect in this life called sanctification. But I can tell you this, habitual sin or a license to sin in the life of a believer is a sure, sure indication that somebody's not. Because Jesus Christ changes us. He makes us new so that we can live new. So, it's not necessarily a denial of the Lord. It might not even be a denial of the cross as far as the work of the cross for us. But it's a denial of the work of the cross in us. And let's look at Peter's testimony to get some insight here. I'm going to look, I want us to look at two men to get some insight about this from two different perspectives. But let's look at Peter first. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. Now we've talked about this before. But you remember now, this is the Apostle Peter who wrote this. Well, the Holy Spirit chose him to... To, uh, to be the vessel through whom it was written. But you'll remember that one of the great highlights of Peter's sojourn on the earth had to be the record of 
Matthew 16, and one of the greatest low points in his life had to be the record of Matthew 16. You remember in Matthew 16, Jesus, we can back up a little bit and go to uh, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea of Philippi, He asked the disciples, say, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they gave some answers and suggestions. And Jesus said, No, 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 no. I want to know, let me ask you this. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is what a false teacher would say. Jesus is Lord. Yeah. He is. Sure. Yeah. That's how they get in. That's how they gain credibility. Oh, yeah. He's Lord. But then, right after he said that, and Christ affirmed him and said, Blessed Peter, listen, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. That came from heaven. That confession, and matter of fact, that confession is so important. That confession is so, so up top that I'm going to take that confession. I'm not going to take you, but I'm going to take that confession, and that confession will be the bedrock upon which I build my church, because that's the confession of Jesus' church, that He's Lord. Amen? But then look what happens to him. Then look what happens to him. And you know the narrative. In verse 21, From that time, Jesus began to show to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised the third day. So He makes this confession that you're Lord and He's going, man, we're getting ready to go into Jerusalem and Jesus is going to take over. We're going to drive the Romans out. He's going to sit on the throne of the temple. Worship will be resurrected again in Jerusalem. All the sacrificial system. But it'll, hey, it's going to be cool. We'll be, the, we'll be the crown joy and our king will sit among us and lead us and he will subdue all our enemies at our feet and never again will Jerusalem be occupied by anybody except God's people and our Messiah. And as a matter of fact, because I'm one of his contemporaries and I'm in the inner circle, I've got to at least expect that he's going to make me vice president in his administration. That's exactly what he was thinking. Yeah, man! And Jesus said this. Look on Jerusalem. The leadership there is going to reject me. In another account in the Gospel, he said they're going to scourge me. They're going to falsely accuse me and they're going to put me on a cross and nail me there in public shame and humiliation. Any questions? And he goes, what? Oh, oh, oh. No, 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 no. no. That, that might be your plan, but that's not my plan. That doesn't fit with me. I let the nets down for something different. And he said, and we'll be raised the third day. He had no idea what was really going on here. And so look what he says to him. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine? Matter of fact, that's insight into a false teacher. False teachers go around rebuking everybody. They rebuke doorposts. They rebuke, they, they, they rebuke doors. They rebuke everything. They rebuke. They're constantly talking to the devil, rebuking the devil, and telling him where his place is. They're constantly doing that. The Bible says that is a pathology of a false teacher. That's false teaching, and we'll we'll see that. That's just to whet your appetite, preview of coming attractions. 
He rebuked the Lord. You imagine that? It's one thing if you rebuke me or I rebuke you. He rebuked the Creator God of the universe. Lift that off the page for a moment. Let's don't gloss over that. You want to talk about presumptuous. You want to talk about arrogant. You want to talk about prideful. You want to talk about somebody who needed to be put in their place. It's this man. That's why the Lord allowed him to be tested like he was. And that's why he failed by denying him three times. Because Jesus had to break him. God cannot use big people. God only uses little people. It's been said before that God spoke out of nothing and created everything. And until we become nothing, He won't make anything of us either. And so look what He says. He said, He rebuked Jesus. <laughs> and then He said, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen. As a matter of fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he get out? I got a right to carry this. Yeah, come on. Let's get it on. Come on. Come on. I don't care if there's 800 of you. I'll start with you right there. Jesus said, put that up. That ain't got a thing to do with what I'm here for. Not one thing. Put that up. Put that up. Muslims get converts by swords and suicide bombers. Jesus gets them through a cross that He died on. He turned and said to Peter, can you imagine getting said this? He didn't turn around and say, Peter, your theology is messed up. That would be bad enough. Get thee behind me what? Satan. He said, right now, buddy, you're under the influence not of me, but of the influence of the enemy. Because the enemy has a vested interest in preventing what I just told you. Because if I do not go to the cross and die, you know what that means for you, Peter? Let's just say that I go into Jerusalem and I take over and I drive out the Romans. Let's just say that I sit on the throne there and occupy a throne. Let's say all that happens and I make you Secretary of State or treasurer, or, make it, or you're the chief of staff in my administration, if I do not go to the cross, the very moment that you die, you go straight to hell. The enemy did not drive Jesus Christ to the cross. He did everything he could to prevent Him from going to the cross because He knew what it meant. He knew what it meant. It meant that God's justice and wrath towards sinners would be appeased through the perfect offering of His Son, that He had power to raise Him from the dead three days later, and from that, bring forth a bride called the church that He cannot touch forever. Amen? And so He said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Look at the, look at the depth of that rebuke. Can you imagine? You just got through hearing in the same chapter, in the same setting. You get, you get, you hear, "Blessed are you, man!" Thumbs up. God revealed that to you, buddy. You're on the top of your game. That's the confession I'll build my church on. And then turn around and say, "Get thee behind me, Satan." There's the false teacher. Jesus is Lord. He came to make you successful, wealthy, beyond measure. The car that you're driving is not the car you should be driving. You should be driving somebody else's nice car. And if they had that nice car, you're to resent them for having it. And claim it 
and rebuke the enemy and say, I want that car because after all, I'm part of the man. I'm the man. My God's taking over. Yeah, He's taking over. He's taking over. But I'm going to tell you something right now. There is no power in a Christianity that's crossless because there is no resurrection power unless it's preceded by a cross. So the false teacher would say, yeah, Lord, Lord, Lord. And he'd scream it louder than anybody else. That way you get access. You get entry into those who say He is Lord like us. But then... Start looking at the ramifications of the gospel. Mark it down. Do well to mark it down. This guy denied Christ, but by God's grace didn't stay there. The false teacher denies Christ and is comfortable there and will stay there straight to hell. Straight to hell. Those who would say, you got the pendulum. You got a pendulum, a balance. It's a good comment. Heresy is truth out of balance. And you got to balance here. Some would make legalists out of us. You got to do this, got to do that. Your life's defined by what you don't do. That's legalism. Brian and Kelly, we were talking about this last week. The guy who owns our house currently fixed up all the aesthetics and all the outside stuff, and it looks so nice and so good, and it does. But underneath the surface, the home inspector found a bunch of things that need to be fixed. And that led them to renegotiate the price. So they have enough money to fix the things you couldn't see. And I told Brian, I said, man, that sounds like Pharisees. Everything you can see seems to be right and clean and wonderful. But you go messing and gomming with what's underneath the surface and you go, wow, it stinks in here. That's legalism. The other end of the spectrum, the balancing is the license to sin crowd. Oh, grace, 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 love you, Debbie, Debbie. Hey, God's love, hey, and His grace, when understood and received, motivate holy living. They teach us to live holy. Titus chapter 2, the great salvation that's been purchased for us, the graciousness of God, teaches us to deny ungodly lusts and worldliness, and live soberly and righteously in the present age. You understand God's grace, the last thing you want to do is exploit it and use it as license to sin. The sin against love is the one that's the most hurtful of all. So this is Peter. This is the pathology of a false teacher. The gospel is about you. The church is about you. We get a church that way. We fold up our arms and say, okay, I'm going to give you an hour and a half Blitz me if you can. I've had pastoral search teams talk to me, and I've told you this before. What type of music worship do you prefer? Do you like choir? Do you like music worship teams? Do you like solos? Do you like contemporary? Do you like blended? Do you like this? Do you like that? You know, asking these questions. Never ask about my salvation. Never ask about my doctrine. Never ask about positions, my disposition toward the Word. Testimony. Whether or not you're saved, it's whether or not what kind of music do you like. I never got past the first conversation with all of them because I said, you know what, you guys are asking the wrong questions. Worship is not supposed to be preference driven, it's supposed to be spirit led. I'm not here this morning to be pleased. I'm here by God's grace to worship 
and please Him. I didn't sing to you this morning. If I had, you would have left. But I'm singing to Him. And you can get out a juice harp and find me a bluegrass tune. And I don't like bluegrass music. But if it's about the blood and the cross and the empty tomb, I will sing along. You know why? Because I'm thrilled that He snatched my sorry, rebellious heart out of the hell that I deserve. And I'm here to tell you, we are to be here to please Him. He's the sinner. Like we talked about before, while salvation is for us, it's not about us. It's about the glory of God. It's about a risen Christ. Peter was saying, your plan doesn't fit mine. That's what false teachers would say. Fully on God's plan. I've had people tell me, run into problems in my previous church, went through some real long-suffering times, well-meaning Christians, and say, send your resume out. Float a resume. And I'm like, boy, that's tempting. But you know what? I have to mind God. I don't get to pick. I don't get to pick and choose where I serve. I don't get to pick and choose who I serve with. The only matter I have is who I serve Four. But his plan, he still tells people what to do. Brian and Kelly are going to inner city Atlanta because they're minding God. He didn't have indigestion one day and just wake up and have a burp and go, Well, we're going to inner city Atlanta to part of this planet church. God told him to. See, we think that sounds so restrictive, but yet, don't miss the life part of it. The death part is we don't get to decide. The life part is we're alive in Christ. And when He decides, we're walking in His power. We're walking with Him. And if you walk with Him, you don't care where He takes you. So Peter, yes, Lord, but he did not even practice. I wonder how many of us are doing that right now. Yes, Lord, I'm in. I'm in. But in daily life, we're habitually denying Him in our practice. Our orthopraxy ought to start coming into conformity with our orthodoxy. Doctrine without practice is dangerous. But practice without doctrine is deadly. This is the kind of this is it right here. Through a totally different prism. Let's look at one more guy and then we're going to lead us to the Lord's Supper. Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 17. Luke chapter 7, verse 17. Boy, it's a curious, curious scripture, I'll admit it. And there's some, you know, we're not going to be able to dive into it. And even if we were, we couldn't do it justice. But let's look at another New Testament guy. We looked at Peter just then. And we see and we get insight into the false teacher. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 17. Luke, I'm sorry. I got my notes mixed up. And I can't have C this morning because I left my glasses at home. Are we at North Carolina Christian School? <laughs> okay. Luke chapter 7, verse 17. Thank y'all. Look what it says. This is John the Baptist. And this report about Jesus went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? <laughs> you imagine that? 
Have you ever thought about that? Context? John the Baptist, from the womb, was full of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? The Bible says that. The Bible says that when Mary walked up with Jesus in her womb to see her cousin Elizabeth, who was with child and supernaturally John the Baptist, that the babe, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit testifies of Christ. And when he heard Mary's voice, he leaped in her womb. He's full of the Holy Spirit before he ever came out of the womb. And yet, he baptized Christ, by the way. He saw Him in John chapter 1, verse 29, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist baptizes people in the Jordan. Jesus comes upon him and says, You're going to baptize me. And he goes, Oh, no, no, nothing doing. I know exactly who you are. I'm not fit to even untie your sandal strap because you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're my Creator. You're my God. You're my Redeemer. And He baptized Him and what happened? The Holy Spirit lit on Christ like a dove. He's standing there when this is happening. And a voice speaks from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son. You know, I'm well pleased. John the Baptist was right there when that happened. And yet, he's going, Okay, hold on just a second. We got this kingdom thing, you know. I'm the forerunner. The king is coming. That's him. And I'm in prison. And Herod's adulterous mate wants to have me killed. And eventually did. And had his head cut off. And he's going, hmm. This isn't shaping up quite the way. I anticipated it. So, let two of my followers go back to Christ and say, Jesus, here's the deal. I know you're the Messiah and all that, but listen, because all this is panning out the way it is, is, is uh, do what? This wasn't, this wasn't non-faith. It was a misunderstanding of how God was going to go about redeeming you and me. But he was, John the Baptist, this isn't... This isn't some junior guy. This is John the Baptist. Bold as a lion. You the coming one or do we look for another? See, that's what we're doing today. You get in and you get saved. And trouble comes your way. And everything didn't just pan out like it ought to. And everything just didn't fall into place. And it's not as easy as you thought it would. And, 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 and people will come to you and give you counsel and say things like, stay in the marriage. Or, or fix that relationship. Forgive that person. And, and we're in this prison you know, with expectations that are different than what we were told. And we were told by the false teachers, no, 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 no. You get in and it'll be a great thing. And you will float to heaven on a bed of ease, comfort, and pleasure. And everything will go your way. And we put some billboards up. And say, here's Pastor so-and-so. And Pastor S. so-and-so. And you come. And we'll tell you how God is here to make you great. When the gospel is not about me and you being made great. But the gospel is about Christ being made great. And so we're there and we do the same thing. We're saved. John the Baptist is a saved man. But he said, Jesus, you've done this and so have I. Are you the one? Or do I look for something else? 
to get out of this circumstance. This is uncomfortable. Things are not going my way. I found it difficult. You've called upon me to forgive somebody that has... Do you understand what they've done to me? You're calling upon me to give up a more immorality? You're calling upon me to you calling upon me to make some changes? You, you, in other words, the gospel is not about you conforming to me, but the gospel is about me dying and conforming to you. Do what? And boy, the false teachers are right there to play into that. I want you to listen to this and listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. Don't, don't stop at denial. Denial of self is the gateway to Spirit-filled living. You want to know Christ? you got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Him. You want to know about Him? Keep pandering to yourself. It's that simple. There's a work of the cross for you and there's a work of the cross in you. And God did not come here and offer up His precious Son to improve you. There is no such thing as sanctified flesh. God came to replace you. But the paradox is, is that when you deny yourself in your life, that's when you begin to find it. Don't you listen to this. I'm not saying that John the Baptist denied Jesus. Don't, I'm not equating those two. I'm using those two as examples to show you that a false teacher believes those things, stays that way, and teaches other people the same. That's what I'm showing you. And we're going to see that more as we go into the text. But I want you, I want you, I want you to remember this. We either deny ourselves and follow Jesus. Or we follow ourselves or we deny Jesus and follow ourselves. That's it. Either we deny ourselves and follow Jesus or we deny Jesus and follow ourselves and our fleshly appetites. And false teachers are there to shore up denial of Jesus and fulfillment of fleshly appetites. It lines their pockets, puts many of them on TV, and deceives a bunch of people. And the Bible says this, a false teacher is not somebody who's just error in their doctrine and are saved. A false teacher is consigned to hell because the Bible says their destruction does not slumber. They're going to be judged. And the reason that the Lord is so upset about it, it's one thing, it's one thing for you to go to hell. I mean, it's one thing for them to go to hell, but it's another thing for them to lead other people there and to do it for money. That's as bad as it gets. That's as bad as it gets. All the while, smiling. Smiling. Purporting to be one of us. You're either going to deny yourself and follow Christ, or you're going to deny Christ and follow yourself. Your appetites. It's one or the other. That's what it boils down to. What does the cross mean to you? Because that's the epicenter of all of this. Jesus died for you. 
to so that you could live to Him. How about that? It doesn't start with death. Let's don't get all legalist. You know, it doesn't, no, it's not the death thing. We're celebrating life. But the issue is the entree to life is death. Because unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. But he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Hallelujah. Amen. You mark it down. Jesus didn't come to make you happy. Jesus came to redeem you and make you holy. Different. He made you holy so you could live holy. And the way He does that is through the cross and the resurrection of His Son. Do you know Him here this morning? Have you ever repented toward God and put faith in the Son? That's the whole issue. The denial part doesn't matter unless you know Him. Do you know Him? Have you ever repented and put in faith in Jesus? We're going to have the Lord's Supper. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask you, and Brian's going to come up and lead us, but there's a time of self-examination that goes about in the Lord's Supper. Two things. <clears throat> Do you know Him? If you know Him, then you can participate. If you don't know Him here this morning, don't leave. We hope you come and know Him before you leave. But don't leave, but don't participate in this, because this is for people who have repented toward God and put faith in His Son. And also, if you do know Him, if there's unrepentant sin in your life right now, if there's unforgiveness towards somebody else, if there's some uh, immoral issue in your life that you're not let, willing to let go of, then repent of this morning. Repent. Repent and get into fellowship with the Lord. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you can be in fellowship with Him that quick through repentance. But if you refuse to do that this morning, you want to hang on to whatever's hanging on to you, don't take this cup. Don't do it. And I say that out of kindness and as a warning. Because if we take this cup in an unworthy manner, God will judge the sin the way He deems best. Why don't you judge it through repentance this morning and sit at the cup of your Lord and take the cup of your Lord and sit at His table. It's a high and holy moment right here. It's a reverent time. Can we bow down in prayer as Brian comes? Let's ask God to search our hearts. Father, thank You so very much for the...